and it was just really lovely to, to see like, Oh, when other, when, when you're allowed, when you have space for other people to come into your life to kind of nurture these other parts of you, the, the rewards are, are gorgeous. And, and we were both able to see that. Welcome to normalizing non-monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Well, welcome to episode 302. We're Finn and Emma, and today we talk with Bree. Bree has been married to her husband about 10 years, and they started talking about non-monogamy at the very beginning of their relationship and slowly building over time to today where they practice polyamory, and Bree has a boyfriend as well. We cover a lot of topics in this conversation and just so much I have so much gratitude. We have so much gratitude to Brie for everything that she shared. Yeah, this is an amazing conversation and a huge shout out and thank you to Brie for coming on and also for the work that Brie does. Brie is an imagination coach and a sex and relationship coach. And we actually love the title of imagination coach. And she's going to talk a little bit more about what that means later on in the conversation. But trust us, you want to stick around for this conversation and please head over to her website where uh, you can learn more about her and her work. The website, is, the links are in our podcast player show notes, but it is baylache.com. That is sort of her online persona. And we just wanted to make sure everybody found it. So again, links are in our podcast player show notes down below or on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Also wanted to have a little short disclaimer up front here about part of our conversation around her being an imagination coach and what that means. We kind of get into the weeds a little bit about some of Emma and I's travels and the power that sort of we experienced as we quit our jobs back in 2018 and went and did some backpacking and sort of rewrote the entire trajectory of our sort of careers and lives as we knew it. Yes. And as we're talking about that, we I, I think it's mostly me, s- says a few things around how, I guess, how you think th- doing stuff like this is impossible until you do it. And then you wake up the day after you quit your job or your career, or you do some monumental shift in your life. And you realize you you still wake up the next day and the day after and the day after and that it maybe didn't end things the way you thought it would. What we wanted to acknowledge up front is that there is obviously some amount of privilege that goes into this. Emma and I were fortunate enough to have decent jobs for about a decade before we quit and we had spent a lot of time saving money. And this is a whole different story about our path to being able to do what we did. But what we wanted to talk about a little bit up here was that, yes, there is some privilege there. We definitely acknowledge that. But we also traveled and saw people traveling in ways that don't take a whole lot of money. We saw people who basically had none and were traveling for free, and they would do anything they could to make a couple bucks to get to the next city, and then they would live in that city and traveling in parts of the world where the cost of living is lower. And even Emma and I, as we traveled, we did a lot of volunteering and a lot of sort of work and trade for room and board to keep our costs down. So 
it's it's been a journey for us as well figuring this out and we just kind of wanted to touch on that up front so people didn't hear like hey just go quit your jobs it's easy no problem yeah everybody can do it I think it's not that simple no it's definitely not that simple and just the biggest thing we wanted to acknowledge is that there is privilege and we are extremely grateful for the opportunities that we have had and created yeah so with that just again, thank you, Bree, for coming on, for doing the work you do. And we are excited to jump into the conversation right now for anybody who is a premium subscriber. And for the rest of you who are not, well, you get a little <laughs> bit more of Emma and me. <laughs> if you're not familiar with the premium subscription, it's a way to skip these announcements up front. We say that every week. You still get important dates in the outro, however, so don't worry. To sign up for the premium subscription, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, scroll down on the homepage, and you'll find links there. And while you're there on our website, you're going to want to click on that community tab at the top. That's one of the best tabs on the internet. Uh, yeah, as, yeah. As voted by J.D. Power and Associates. <laughs> I made that last part up. No kidding. But the first part, it is one of the best tabs on the internet. It is. Because it takes you to the page where you learn more about our virtual community that we rave about every week. We've got close to 300 people in the community who show up every day to love and care for and support one another as we all figure out what what relationships are. <laughs> I think that's a lot. It's a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a lot more than just like there's non monogamy, there's a piece of it, but it's also life and relationships and everything else in life too. So the answers are in our community. Yeah. (laughs) And it's five bucks a month to join. You get a monthly QA, you get a men's group, you get a women's group, you get ongoing daily chat and community support. And you have the opportunity to also join our sort of more in-depth, more intense weekly peer support groups, intimate, intimate, intimate. (laughs) our weekly support groups. Yes. We have a men's weekly support group. We also have a women's weekly support group. We're working on launching more. So stay tuned. We would love for you to go to our website though and click on the, under the community tab, you can find the tab for the weekly groups, find all of the information there. And if you're interested in joining, we would love to have you fill out the application there so that we can learn more about you and gauge interest as we add more. Yeah. And to be clear, you filling out that form lets us know that you're interested so we can start putting together the additional cohorts for the men's for another women's and we're doing a gender inclusive group that we're working to fill up right now so we would love for you to let us know that you're interested yes last but not least the last thing we (laughs) want to tell you about is our favorite affiliate partner of the podcast It is the way Emma and I have been getting tested for STIs for many a year. It is. And we've been telling you about it for the same number of years. It is. Because it's a service we use and love. It is called stdcheck.com. And using the links on our website or in your podcast player show notes saves you $10, which brings the cost of a 10-panel test down to $129. And it helps support the show financially, which we are extremely grateful for, so we can keep doing this every week. Yes. And with that, a quick reminder to go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, click on all of the links we just told you about, as well as go to the Contact Us tab. You can reach out to us, send us a voicemail, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. And now, let's go talk to Bree. Here we go. Welcome to the podcast, Bree. We're so happy you're here today, and thank you for making the time to chat. We're excited. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. We'd love for you to start just by introducing yourself at whatever whatever level you're comfortable with. Yeah. Um, my name is Bree, also known as Bay Leche on the internet. 
Wow, where do I start? I am a Chicana, queer, um, polyam living in Los Angeles. I am a mother to two toddlers who might interrupt this podcast. They are three and five. I am a wife. We've been married for almost 10 years, which is crazy how that sneaks up on you. I'm kind of a jack of all trades. So currently I am a sex and relationship coach, but I also am an artist. I have my first art show coming up. I am a reseller of vintage and I, what else do I do? And bourgeois photography. So a little bit. Wow. That's awesome. I can relate. <laughs> People are like, what do you do? I'm like, well, here's a list of 27 things I'm doing at the exactly. moment. <laughs> Always trying not to make it 28 too, right? right. <laughs> uh, trying not to make it 228 to be yeah. honest. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So what, what does the relational ecosystem between you or you and your husband or, or all of your orbit, what does that sort of look like today? And then we're going to back up and figure out how we got here. Yeah. So today the way it looks like is, so my husband and I are married, obviously, and we are nesting partners. We live together, um, raising our two toddlers together. And I have a boyfriend that I see uh, maybe once a week at most, maybe a few times a month. And we've been together for about a year now. And at this point, it's not super kitchen table. Not that we're opposed to that. It's more like just busyness that hasn't really allowed that. Um, he's, he's definitely been over and like met my family, but he lives a few minutes away. So it's not like super easy. Mm-hmm. My partner, or my husband at the moment, he isn't really seeing anyone because he's on a little bit of an inward journey, which we've kind of each taken turns doing, which is fun when you've been in like a long-term non-monogamous partnership to kind of see how that can happen from time to time where all of a sudden you're like, whoa, are we in like a monopoly situation right now? So that's our current situation. I'm still dating other folks kind of casually, but the only one that's sticking right now is, is my boyfriend that I've had for a year. I love it. And when did, when did non-monogamy come into the picture for you, for you personally, um, maybe we'll start there because it may not have been you and your husband at that point. So when did it come into your life? Yeah. So when I was in college, I got into the situation where I had a boyfriend and we've been dating for a few months and I really loved him, really cared about him. And then I met my current husband, Daniel, and had a really nice time with him and started to develop you know, strong feelings for him. And we were at a Christian college at the time. So it was like extra not okay to be with more than one person. And I just felt like ill about it because I just cared about both of them so much and was like really like having a really hard time understanding what was going on and felt like I had to pick someone. And it was, it was very, uh, a very strange experience, but also not one that was uncommon for me. Like I, ever since I had been a teenager, I'd find myself in multiple relationships and in this situation where I had to pick where I'm like, Oh, like I'm, I'm cheating. I'm cheating on, on my boyfriends. I'd have like boyfriends at multiple high schools to kind of try and like keep it like, like maybe it's okay if I do it that way. I don't know. So, but in college, I started after that experience, um, I ended up breaking up with the first boyfriend and staying with my now current husband, but I started having very real conversations with him of just like, and thinking to myself, like, there has to be 
this is, I'm not the only person that's felt this way. Like that's, that can't be the case. And so I started Googling, this is back in like, when was this? I don't know, 20, what is this? 2014, 2010. I don't know. Bad with time. Um, and so polyamory wasn't like as hot of a thing or as a word as it is now, but information existed on the internet. So I'm on my Google search and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like this is me. Like I, I, this is me. And that was really affirming. And from there I shared that with Daniel and I was like, this is what I, what I am, I think. And then, you know, in his college idealism, he's like, yeah, let's, let's do it. And so (laughs) that's kind of the start formally, informally kind of forever, but (laughs) Yeah. 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 It was kind of like close to the beginning of your relationship though. What it yeah. Like. It was, it was yeah. at the beginning really. And so, um, so we kind of say that we started off non-monogamous because even though we weren't practicing non-monogamy right off the bat, it was something that was in, um, was a possibility for us because I had articulated that it was something that was important to me and felt like it was who I am. So it took a while for either of us to like really start seeing somebody else. Cause we were really deep in new relationship energy. We were in our early twenties. We were, there's a lot going on at that time, but yeah, I guess that was the start of it for us. Yeah. I love that. And I'm, I'm curious then the, I mean, the, it sounded like there was gung ho enthusiasm from both of you to jump in and try this, but it, at that point it was, it was all theory other than mm-hmm. I, it sounds like you had sort of done the multiple people at multiple high schools route, but this was sort of the the first time you're going to try to do it. Up, I don't know on the up and up, and there was en- there was enthusiasm. But how did it? How did you start to actually roll it out to actually make it happen for the first time? Yeah, so I I was in the service industry, um, and I don't know if either of you have worked like as a server, as a waitress, as a bartender, but it's like a highly um, highly sexual environment. It's very fun place to work. Um, <laughs> everyone's just kind of you know kind of walking around, turned on all the time. It's very fun, um, and so I had some interest in coworkers and you know, there's also alcohol around. So, and I'm in my early twenties. So it would, I think it was really nice that we were able to, to start with like really small bites. Like our nervous systems were able to like work up to like, okay, how does this feel? How does this feel? And it started out with mostly me like making out with other coworkers after work. And like, we would be, we would be able to debrief that afterwards and kind of talk about how that felt. And, um, it took a while, I think, for us to like actually truly be interested, like really interested in people beyond like playfulness or um, like flings. It wasn't until I want to say maybe five years into our relationship that I really like met somebody that I was interested in pursuing something a little more substantial with. And it was a much older person that I met as a bartender. Uh, so there was like a few factors there that felt uh, new and complicated, but it was very fun and messy as, as you, I'm sure, you know, and from your own experiences and from many people's experiences um, from the podcast, it was, uh, it was messy, but yeah, I'll let you guys. Well, and, and throughout this time, like these, so you said it was like a few, a handful of years in there that, you know, you flirted with people and make out with people to, like go through that and work through that with your, with your husband. And 
Was he doing the same? Yes, but it wasn't, it wasn't as much. I think we realized pretty quickly that I was definitely more oriented towards it. And it was something Mm -hmm. a little more interesting to me. Like, and I think it was also because of the environment that I worked in. Like he works in kind of the opposite environment. He's a teacher. (laughs) So (laughs) it's not a place where you're, you know, meeting people to make out. (laughs) So, um, so that definitely lended to like a little bit of an imbalance there, but he still had his, his fun times too. It wasn't as frequent. Um, and then I think he was definitely less interested in like having a second relationship. And when mm-hmm. that happened for me, that definitely required a lot of hard conversations and um, navigation. Mm-hmm. Well, which is, you had said it got, it got a little bit messy at that point. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious at whatever level you're comfortable talking about that. And again, understanding that that your husband's not here to necessarily share from his perspective, but I think mm-hmm. even from yours, how how did that evolve into deeper feelings? And what were some of the things that came up for you? Yeah, I think, so we were still in our, I had to have been about 26 at the time, right? And so I think it's fun now to be, 10 years older and to look back and be like, wow, I didn't really know anything about anything at that point. <laughs> in life. Um, and I feel really proud of us for like being able to navigate how messy it was because I think we just had such a low degree of like, uh, conflict resolution skills and communication skills. And it was through these experiences that I think we really got to build like the strong foundation that we have now. But anyways, for me, it was just, it was really exciting. You know, I was like, I'm falling in love with a second person and this has happened in past instances in my life. And it was never something that was okay, but this is something that like I've talked to, like everyone knows about this, like we can do this. This is really exciting. And I think still living in that like idealism and because this person was much older, I think there were some pros there as well as some cons, but the pros being like, higher emotional intelligence, maturity, more maturity in general. So that was really helpful for the situation. Um, And I think really a great deal of intrigue for this person that like, this was possible, like, wait, you're, you're married and you can see me like that's, that's okay. You know, like it was really outside of his uh, like imagination a bit. Um, So that was fun to feel like, it was something I was bringing to him, like to teach him a little bit, even though it was new for me in a lot of ways. But yeah, the messy part, I think, is just as most people's experiences in polyamory can be of just like figuring out boundaries, you know, like where where is that all at? And like learning that boundaries that you have theoretically, right? Don't always translate to your nervous system. That your nervous system isn't always like, "Oh yeah, this is fine." You're 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 feeling sweaty. You're freaking out, and you don't know why, even though in your head you understand it's fine and it's all safe. So um, we really had to do a lot of um, swimming in those waters <laughs> to, to get to do a lot of learning. And um, I feel really proud. It was hard for sure, but I'm really proud that we were able to get through that first one for sure. Well, I mean, that's a big adjustment to go from, Hey, I'm making out with coworkers, you know, behind the dumpster (laughs) to I'm falling in love with somebody. That's a, that's rewriting the entire relationship sort of structure and agreement. I mean, even where you say, well, we, 
you had an open relationship, what's the difference? But like, those are very different things. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how are you two able to, it's, I mean, I guess you kind of touched on it that it was a little bit rough, but I, maybe what, how did you two approach the shift, the, the transition from, Hey, this is fun makeouts to, Hey, this is a little more to it. Yeah, I think it was um, pretty compartmentalized for us at that point. Like, I think that's how we realized we had to do it um, in order for it to feel okay for everyone. And it's funny to look back on that because we've come so far, right, since since that. But I think it's also what really inspired me to want to coach other people on how to do it because I think we have this, like, idealized view of, like, what we want our non-monogamy to look like, right? We have like, oh, I, I want it to be kitchen table poly and we're all just friends and it's all great and easy. But like, there's lots of steps to get there, right? And I think that um, especially folks that are newer to it, they're trying to push themselves all the way to, to like to that when really it's okay to have like these kind of stepping stones of like, I actually have to do it this way before I can do it that way. And I didn't know that's, that's what was happening at the time but that's what was happening. We needed to keep it separate in order to be Mm -hmm. able to do it right. In order to prepare our nervous systems to be like, Oh, this is okay. We're okay. You're in this other relationship and we're okay. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that went on for about a year. So it wasn't, it wasn't too, too long. Um, but it was enough to, to gain some, some more wisdom and understanding about how we wanted to do it. Like the next time around. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think that's super valid that and and it's I'm glad you brought that up because I think to your point people put certain types of polyamory or non-monogamy up on pedestals, right? I totally. I should be just swimming in compersion. Mm-hmm. You should be able to come and tell me everything and anything and I'm just going to be happy for you and there's never going to be any problems. And and in reality, right, you might be like our dynamic is I really can't hear certain types of things. Um, so we, we draw the line here. Partners don't come over to our place. Like people can create whatever dynamic they want, you know, and, and is it a, some people's ideal that it's kitchen table and everybody can hang out for Christmas and Thanksgiving and new year's. Sure. That is some people's ideal, but that's also not everybody's ideal. Totally. And I think like, that's a lot of my work with my clients is like really helping people understand that they can imagine whatever they want and there's no right or wrong or better or Mm -hmm. worse because Mm -hmm. so many people are pushing themselves way too hard to try and do something or be something that that's not going to work for them or or isn't going to work for their particular connection at the moment. Right. Maybe it'll work the next time with somebody else, but, um, totally. Yeah. 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 So how did you, how did you iterate for the next time around? What was, what did you forward? Yeah. 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 So, so my husband kind of kept having, you know, like these little flings once in a while that were fun, but still nothing like super substantial. And then I um, started getting really friendly again with a coworker because, you know, we're still, we're still in this chapter. (laughs) Um, And, uh, I was able to bring it to my husband like really slowly too, um, where I think the first time I jumped in because I was like, Oh, we already said this was okay. And so I'm now I'm doing it. And and this time I kind of had more of an understanding of like, okay, I'm going to communicate more before. Um, so I, I expressed that I was interested in this coworker and this time it was a younger person, um, different than the first time. And, um, 
my husband would like come sit at the bar too. So he knew who he was. So they had a little bit more of like a, Oh, I, 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 it wasn't as compartmentalized. So that felt really Mm -hmm. nice for me. And even though we kept this relationship, still pretty compartmentalized, but not as much. Like I think we hung out a few times and if I had like birthday parties, he would come over. So it felt like uh, a little bit more progress. Um, but still, I think it took us a lot longer than I expected to like be as comfortable as I thought we would be once again with that, like idealized, we're all just hanging out. And even on my end, just the, the discomfort that I felt was really surprising of like, Oh, I've never been in a room with two of my partners and like, how do I navigate that? Like, I feel like we don't talk about that part enough. Like yeah. someone just it. mentioned that on, yeah. on another interview we did. They're like, Oh really? We need a book for that. What someone needed to teach me? Like what, what happens when I'm in a, a or in a space with my husband and my partner? I don't know what to do. Well, yeah, that one, I think they flew in and like landed and picked them up at the airport and basically were like, here we all are all at lunch together for the first time. And it's like, yeah, how do I do this? (laughs) Totally. Which now I feel like we have like a really high degree of comfort with all that, which I'm so grateful for. But at the time you're just like, Oh, what am I supposed to do? Like, can I touch you? Can I not touch you? Like those are the conversations that you almost forget to have because you're so focused on like the other kinds of boundary conversations. Like that's just not one you, you have. And so that was, that felt a little fumbly stumbly, but I think we, we like got like donuts one time all together. Like I said, he came over for birthday parties. Um, so that, that felt better, but we still weren't all like BFFs. Um, we weren't best friends. He wasn't hanging out in my house all the time. And that, that still did feel like p- more parallel polyamory, especially cause, um, I was working nights and he was my coworker. So we worked nights together. And then I would see my husband more like on the weekends and on my days off. So it was like pretty, pretty parallel, um, which we did that for three years. Um, so that was a bit more than just making out with a co that was, that sounds like it was more of a relationship than make out. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But it it sounds like it was, it was a, I don't know, a full, a full blown relationship. It was, there was a lot of love there. Um, yeah, I miss him all the time. We're still good friends. And the only reason it ended is because my husband and I were ready to start a family. We wanted to to have a baby and um I you know switched things up with with my boyfriend a little bit just to ensure paternity. <laughs> <laughs> and um and you know I got pregnant and we still were continuing the relationship and I was I was open to what it could look like and we started to have more conversations along the lines of like would you be interested in like co-parenting uh to some degree like should we start meeting each other's family like we were having starting to have more more serious conversations along that line or along those lines but he met somebody else in the beginning of my pregnancy my boyfriend did And, um, though he was kind of seeing other people, um, he was a musician and his music was kind of like his other relationship where like, it worked really well to have me who Uh who had my husband because Mm -hmm. then my needs were a little, you know, a little less because I was in these two relationships and, um, he met somebody else, even though he was dating kind of sporadically, he hadn't really had someone he was really excited about throughout our relationship. So that happened in the beginning of my pregnancy and I was so excited for him. And I was like, 
go like fly little bird. Like I'm I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen when this baby comes. I've never had a baby before. So I don't know how demanding this is going to be. I imagine pretty demanding. (laughs) So, um, so it felt like really good timing and it was a really nice, like super easy breakup where we just were able to thank each other for our time together. And like I said, we're still good friends. Um, yeah, Yeah, that's, that's, that's beautiful that you two were able to like, you know, it's sad not to be in the way in the relationship, like you had it. I'm sure there's some sadness there, like you said, but it's also beautiful that you were two were able to navigate like, no, this is where my life is taking me. This is where your life is taking me. Doesn't mean we can't still be in each other's lives, but it's just going to look different. Totally. Yeah. Well, it sounds like that relationship too was also pivotal for your marriage in the, in the sense that you, you took another stab at, not just casual, but deeper relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, it sounds like, and again, this, these are hard words to use, like grow or evolve, because it's not like you have to be on the escalator to something, but it sounds like it was pivotal for you and your husband in terms of how you approached being in an, a non-monogamous marriage. Totally. And I feel like it also really like was a time when my, like kind of our relationship philosophy developed more because um, we were both kind of seeing um, the so much good that was coming out of me being in this other relationship. Like this person was really responsible, like really maybe mostly responsible for my like artistic uh, evolution, like as a person, like they really helped me to see like that I'm an artist. And um, if it weren't for that relationship, or without the opportunity to be non-monogamous, I'm not sure that I would have been able to have that. And my husband saw that that wasn't something that he could do for me because just that's just not our relationship, which is okay. It's not a bad mm-hmm. thing. And it was just really lovely to to see like, oh, when other when when you're allowed, when you have space for other people to come into your life, um, to kind of nurture these other parts of you, like the the rewards are, are gorgeous and and we were both able to see that so i feel like it made both of us uh more passionate about our open marriage um because we got to see that yeah i think that's amazing and i what just a, a thing that kind of hit me and and the way you describe that is i think this is something that that is easy to ping our insecurities of hey this new person came into your life and they introduced you to something that maybe woke something up in you that's never come alive. For you, it was art, right? And it's so easy to go to a place of, well, I should be inspiring everything in my partner, right? I, mm-hmm. or, or even feeling bad, like, well, why couldn't I unlock that for right. her? But I think the, the work is to say, allowing isn't the right word, but, but supporting that, that adventure, that growth, that experience without taking it personally to say, hey, I wasn't the one who showed Brie art in the way that she wants, but I can be the one to say, go and explore it and you have my full support and we're going to keep nurturing the other parts of our partnership that are not that. Totally. And, and letting totally. those grow independently, it's, it's really hard to do. Yeah, but yeah, I, so I, give, I give. Oh, sorry, I give him a lot of credit because I think that that even if he had that initial reaction internally, he was able to work through it quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, which is amazing, and I mean that I think is a fundamental uh, challenge in a lot of relationships. But mm-hmm. also, it can happen. You know, say 
with friendships even mm-hmm. or anything totally. else in your life. And to fully support somebody that like that you love looks like maybe they're getting things from other the not looks like they are likely getting things from other people in their lives and to support and cheer that on. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's a good thing. Um, it's a very good thing and a very critically important thing. Um, but it can ping insecurities in yourself. Well, because we get so many messages that say you should be everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And as you said, like this is a relevant conversation, even monogamous relationships, because it could come up in friendships, which is mm-hmm. hard to comprehend. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. Yeah. But it happens. Yeah. Like it, the, totally it happens does. that the somebody, well, yeah, we don't need to go down the whole road. I was just <laughs> going to go down, <laughs> slow down. Um, <laughs> so the two of you, so you had that relationship, then you got pregnant and mm-hmm. you transitioned that relationship. I guess, can you walk us through the last few years then? You, you yeah, said your, your kids are five to. and three. So I imagine it's been, so it's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then it, then it was, it, it was interesting. Cause I think I didn't know, you know, what having a baby would be like, once again, you never have one before you don't know. And, um, but my sexuality is very important to me and non-monogamy is very important to me. And so I think I had a lot of like nervousness going into having a baby that I wasn't going to be able to like preserve this part of myself that I'd worked really hard to, to get to a good place with. And what was interesting is as soon as I had my, my first child, I found that, um, so the hormones that happen just make it so you're like real focused on your baby, right? And I think that I was really pleasantly surprised at like how much I enjoyed being with my baby and how like, but I also felt really, um, really secure in the fact that I can return to non-monogamy like when I was ready, that it wasn't going anywhere. I, I wasn't in a rush and that felt really nice. Um, I did still like, sporadically see some comets that I kind of had, um, in my life. Um, but I have this really, really fun memory that I like to share of like the first time I went out after I had my baby, I think he was like, I don't know, four or five months old. And I was like, I have to try, like, I got it. I got to push myself a little bit. Like I got to go. And I was out for like just a few hours, like had dinner, went back to my, to my friend's place. Um, and and we were like laying around and, and I was just like, I, I'm so sorry. I have to go home. <laughs> like I'm, I need to go, I need to go home with my baby. And he was like, yeah, that's totally fine. And I was like, yeah, here I go. <laughs> but it was really surprising to me that I didn't want to like, I don't know, get sexy and like hang out longer. I was just like, really that the hormones are like, you need to be with your baby. Where's your baby? And so that experience was really good for me though. Cause I think I was like, Oh, okay, this is where I need to be. And once again, like non-monogamy is not going anywhere. It'll be fine. Then I got pregnant again, pretty, my babies are close together. And during this pregnancy is actually when I, uh, started becoming interested in kink because my libido shot up like a ton. And, um, I, yeah. So I met someone who introduced me to kink during this pregnancy and, this is actually the first time that I got really comfortable with the idea of like casual sex. Cause I think for so long I had been really, even though I, I had been seeing multiple people, I really preferred like there to be more of a, a, a an emotional connection. Um, and then coming from like a Christian background, that makes sense too. Right. 
So I think it was the first time that I was navigating like more casual um, situations and um, really figuring that out for myself of like, whoa, what does this look like? And at the same time, it's when my husband kind of started on that journey on his own, even though he kind of had like these little dates here and there. Like it was the first time he was like, okay, let's, I really want to figure this out for myself. Um, and during this period of time, so up into maybe like a year ago, um, he was the one that was more actively dating. He was the one that was out a lot and I'd just be home with the babies, like chilling. I'm like, you, you go do your thing. And I think since then he's, he's been in maybe three, three more substantial relationships. Um, and it's been so lovely to get to be on the flip side. Finally, I think at first I was a little nervous cause I was like, Oh, Dan- Daniel hasn't been with someone that he's been like really excited about. That's like gone on for a while. And I had so much fear around that cause I knew it was going to be a challenge. I was ready for it, but I knew it was going to be a challenge. And then it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be actually. <laughs> That's a nice, pleasant surprise, right? <laughs> it really was. I was ready. I was like, oh my gosh, it's going to be so hard. I'm going to be crying. It's going to be horrible. We're going to have fights. And then it wasn't. <laughs> well, because at that point you were still kind of home and not that you were just stuck at home with the baby, but you were sort of still in that coming out of pregnancy probably a lot of those same hormones. Yeah. It sounds like you were doing more, some more casual exploration or exploration of casual and kink dynamics, but you weren't going down the relationship route as much. Right. Right. And it was something that was a nice shift for me, um, to realize that that's how I wanted my non-monogamy to look in that season. I was Mm -hmm. like, you know, this is not, I'm not looking for another relationship right now because I'm swimming in oxytocin all day. And I'm also exhausted because I have two babies, not just one, but two, because I'm crazy and we didn't mean to do that, but we did and it's fine. (laughs) Um, but it felt really nice to like, um, I think a experience a different type of non-monogamy, a different style and then B to like feel really confident in what I wanted and like how to express that to people that I was seeing. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Uh, and that leads us, I guess, till today. And so like, what, what was your journey once you had the two kids and to up until the the last few years? Yeah. So I, I've really been enjoying exploring like my kinky self and, um, I'm definitely an experimentalist. So like, I want to just try everything once, but there's lots to try. So, so I feel like, um, I'm, I've just been really focused on like new experiences and kink for me is actually more, more playful than it is sexual. Like there's definitely a sexual element, but it's not about sex for me. It's about play. So I enjoy the intimacy that, that kinky spaces can provide that aren't always sexual. So I've been really enjoying um, a variety of connections with all different kinds of folks to explore all of those things. Um, I'm also really interested in exploring my queerness lately. So though I haven't been dating a ton of of women or non-binary folk, I want to be. (laughs) So that's a part of my journey right now. But I'm really focused right now on actually like my vocation, which I think, interestingly enough, is coaching other folks on how to enjoy alternative relationship structures. Cause there's so many ways that you can have relationships with other people. And I'm just really passionate because of my experiences 
on helping folks to navigate like, okay, well, what, what does non-monogamy look like for me? I, I can't do kitchen table poly. I don't feel compersion. I don't want just uh, two partners. I only want two partners. Like just helping them know that like, there's no limit to like what your particular relationships could look like non-monogamous or monogamous. Um, I'm just really interested in helping folks queer all of their ideas and, and deconstruct all the binaries around relationships. Right. But anyways, I'm, I've been really focused on, on my vocation for the first time in my life. Cause I was bartending, didn't really know what I wanted to be doing for work. And then I became a mom and that is all encompassing. So now I'm finding that like my vocational pursuits take up a lot of time and energy, which I'm really enjoying. So non-monogamy has taken a little bit of a backseat. I mean, I'm still on dating apps. I'm still open to meeting new people. I'm always excited when attraction happens in real life because I feel like that's rare these days, unfortunately. <laughs> and I'm enjoying the relationship with my boyfriend um, that it fits really perfectly with what with everything else we've, we've mm-hmm. gotten into a really lovely groove. He has other partners as well. So I think that really like for a while I was dating people where I was kind of like their only other partner. And I think I, I knew going into new relationships now that that could not be the case because of all the things that I have going on. I can only date people who are, are already dating other people because otherwise it's too much pressure on my relationship. So I think it feels good to feel really clear, right. About like the types of people that I can and can't be in relationship with. Yeah, totally. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, <laughs> it's good to know your own bandwidth and like what, you know, this is what I can, how I can show up in a relationship right now. Maybe that'll change in the future. I don't know, but this is where I'm at right now and recognizing to like, how important it is to put that out there and find people where that meshes. Yeah. And I think I'm really enjoying also like the fluidity of um, my own desires in relationships too. Right. And like Mm -hmm. my, my husband's own desires and his relationships and how those are always changing. And I think we're, we're very excited for the future too. And we have more space to see like what kind of other people and relationships come into our lives. Like, we're open to, we, we were actually doing like communal living up until last week, our, our like commune mates moved out. But even though those relationships weren't sexual, they were very intimate. And I think like, even though I don't count those as like polyamorous, like in a lot of ways, upon further reflection, this just shifted. They just moved out Saturday, but like now looking back at it, it's been really fun to actually realize like, Oh, Whoa, they were also like two other partners that we had. We just didn't think of it that way because it wasn't sexual nor romantic. And that's not really fair to folks who like are asexual or are aromantic, right. Who are in these Mm -hmm. other relationships. Once again, talking about like queering everything and getting rid of all of these binaries. Like I think, um, we're very open to more intimacy with other folks, kind of the way that we just had it. We don't know what it's going to look like in the future. And I think that's really fun and exciting just as, as parenting demands shift, as our jobs shift, as who we are shifts. There's so many pieces. And I think I'm just mostly grateful for our openness to whatever those, those versions are going to be. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I think that, what you kind of just touched on there is a comment I was going to make the of a theme that I've sort of 
picked up on in your in your journey by yourself or individually but also with your husband is you two don't seem to force things no you sort of let them okay this is a thing it's happening how do we navigate it what does it look like where do we go okay that thing that season has passed there's a new season upon us this season looks like this how do we how do we get through this season and what comes next it sounds like you you largely go with the flow together and give each other a lot of a lot of liberty to explore who you are but i think maybe the question as i say that is how, what do you two do to really foster and bolster your connection between the two of you. And that's not coming from a place of doubt, like, Hey, you're off doing this and he's doing that. And you have kids and you're a coach and he's a teacher. When do you ever talk to each other? But I'm, I'm genuinely curious, like, how do you manage it all? Yeah. And grow your connection so you can have that. Yeah. I think that's a really good question. And honestly, if it were not for something called COVID-19, I don't (laughs) think that we, I don't think it would have been so easy because COVID-19, let's call it COVID-19, <laughs> I can't, um, the, the pandemic and having to be home right together, that was right after the birth of our second baby. Thank God I didn't have to deal with hospital protocol. It was, it was great timing for me, but, um, we spent so much time together. Right. And that was such a, it was previously like such a luxury. So it was so sweet to like really get this season of like getting to reconnect. I think that that was like a really, a really big gift to our marriage. Um, we were doing all right. Like we were definitely doing all right. We were, we were smooth sailing, but I think it helped us realize like how much we weren't getting like, Oh, Whoa. Like we we actually, Hey, like we actually can connect a lot deeper here and I think that that reset was really nice because I think we've worked really hard to maintain that. And we're really intentional. Poly people always talk about calendaring. And um, we always make sure to put one or two evenings on the calendar where it's like, okay, we're not going to fall asleep when the kids fall asleep on these <laughs> two nights. Like we're going to stay up and we're going to talk. Maybe we'll smoke a little bit and laugh or eat eat some snacks like but but one or two nights a week like we we wake the other person up we're like no you have to get up I know you're tired but we have to do this and um that's become one of our practices and our sacred time is like from 9 30 to 11 30 at night you know one or two nights a week which I think the busier you are and after kids come to you like realize how luxurious that time is together and you're less likely to take it for granted so I think We've really appreciated that too. And um, we've really had the chance to be there for each other through these past 10 years and well, 13 years together. I had pretty severe like postpartum anxiety Mm -hmm. um, and he really showed up for that. He was, he took incredible care of me Uh, after both babies. He cooked every meal for maybe like like years. Like, I think I just started cooking again, like maybe last year. Um, and I've really shown up for him as he's had his own personal struggles with, um, different things. And I think that it's felt really nice to, um, once again, I talked earlier about like being on both sides. Like, I think we've just been on both sides of things for each other in so many ways that have really created like truly the strongest foundation of love and friendship. And I am just so grateful for it. 
Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for expanding on that. And I think, (laughs) yeah. And I don't, I don't want to, and I think I just, I'm realizing like, as I'm like thinking about everything I'm saying, I don't want to act like we haven't had our struggles. Like we definitely have. And I think that's actually a big part of my like coaching brand is like to share our struggles because I think sometimes polyam couples or influencers like don't share those as openly. They're just like, look at how great we're doing and look at all this compersion that we feel. And I've tried to be like pretty open about like, no, we like, we've like probably hated each other at like different points, like for sure. And like we've screamed and we've cried and we've yelled and we have felt like we wanted to kill the other person. Like that, that's all a part of our journey too. Right. (laughs) So I don't want to not say that because I think that that's really important that we like where our marriage is right now, we've really earned that. It's because we've had a lot of really, really hard conversations, right? Like we've earned it. And I think it's important to note that. <laughs> totally. And, and, and that's one of the questions we often ask is what, what are some of the challenges that you've, that you've come up against uh, on this journey? And, and it was one that I was going to kind of throw your way because it sounds, it seems like as we just sort of said, there's been a lot of freedom to explore and you two have really shown up to support each other in that. But that's not to say that doing that isn't hard, doesn't trigger insecurity. Things don't come up, fights don't happen. And maybe if you do want to take a minute to talk about maybe not all of them, but one or two (laughs) things that you've come up against and, you know, how you two kind of worked through that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really, it's just helped us kind of do a lot of self-reflection individually and just develop so much more awareness about kind of the negative patterns that we each have as individuals, right? And how it contributed not only to our poly journeys, but just like to life in general. Mm-hmm. I think that one that comes up um at first is like that for me, like I tend to be a pretty forceful person in that I'm not always looking for people's cues, like nonverbal cues that something maybe isn't working for them. Right. Um, and so that was a big struggle for us. I think was like Daniel was, he struggled to find like his voice and to like say like, actually this isn't working for me. He felt like he was saying it with his body a lot um, or like with his lack of enthusiasm and I wasn't picking up on that. So I think that that's the first thing that come to mind that I think like took a long time for us to figure out is, is for him to like not appease, right. Not to feel like he had to say yes to things because I was so certain about them. Or he's just kind of slower to like realize where he's at. Like, and, and I think I had to develop a lot of patience with that um, because I'm just, I'm just someone who, when I know, I know, and I'm like, yes, I'm, I'm sure this is it. And he's someone that needs like time to like chew on things, think about things. So I think we just really had to find like that middle ground of like my need to like hit the gas and like his need to pump the brakes. It's like learning how to drive something. I don't know. There's an analogy there, I'm sure. But I feel like that was one of the biggest ones. Um, it was just like finding that pace that worked for everyone. Yeah. I think that that's probably the biggest one. Yeah. We've never experienced that, but I could imagine. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> I could imagine that's uncomfortable at times. <laughs> uh, it can be very hard. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, so often in relationships, 
opposite personalities attract or like, you know, I don't like two people, you get them together in a relationship. They very likely don't handle things in the same way or don't Mm -hmm. like, that's just more than likely that's how it is. And so trying to navigate and learn, you have to learn more about yourself first of all, and then be able to communicate that and work together with a partner. It's a journey. And it's one that oftentimes is kids and adolescents were not taught that so oh, yeah we aren't taught anything which once again a part of my vocational journey is like yeah. why aren't we learning how to have relationships in high school why aren't we learning how to communicate in high school why aren't we learning what boundaries and consent <laughs> is in high school why aren't we learning like there's so many things that you have to learn in relationships as adults that like if you just learned how to do it when you were like 15 or 16 like would save a lot of trauma so um <laughs> and pain <laughs> and pain yeah yeah, yeah so yeah. yeah a lot of our journey i think in our marriage has just been like really healing a lot of healing a lot of like i still love you even though that shitty thing happened like i feel like that's been our marriage a lot is just um loving each other for for all the pieces and like even though we've both been shitty to each other and like I think that's why we're in such a good place now is because we both kept showing up and kept being like, yeah, that was really shitty, but I still love you. (laughs) Yeah. Can relate to that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, I'm curious how open with other people in your life are you about your relationship dynamic? Um, Like with family and friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love, I love this question. Um, So with friends, I feel like we've been pretty cozy with it for a while. And with family, so I'm, I'm Mexican American and, um, big family. And I, I don't know, I, I just really, I'm, I'm kind of the black sheep and I feel like I've had a lot of like nervousness about like getting kicked out of the tribe, you know, I'm just like, no. And so for me, um, it took a long time for me to feel comfortable being open with, I was open with my siblings pretty off the bat cause we're very close. But with my parents, I told my dad probably like five years ago. So we'd been doing it for a while and I had been prepping him slowly. Like you just kind (laughs) of drop these little like, yeah, I was out the other night. Daniel was home or like you just kind of, you know, you're feeding these little pieces to kind of get their nerve, get their nervous system kind of like, oh, okay, that's, that's interesting, but that's okay. And that's interesting. So I finally told him and he was just so great about it. He just thought it was so cool. And like, was asking me lots of questions about it. And like, still to this day is like very curious and will, will, will bring his questions to me, which is so sweet. Um, my parents aren't together. And so for my mom, there's a lot more baggage there. And I just told her probably like two weeks ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. But once again, after years of like feeding her tiny pieces and like, I just really didn't want her to freak out because my mom is the type of person that would freak out, that would yell, scream, say really mean things. And I was like, I can't, I can't handle that. We're not doing that. So, so I knew that the right moment would come up and it did. And I just said it. And then she kind of took a deep breath and you know, I could tell it triggered her because I think that is the thing about coming out to your parents, especially that it, it triggers people so deeply to hear that you do this thing that 
maybe they've wanted to do or maybe uh, makes them question their own relationship styles, right? Or or the, or maybe they've experienced infidelity. Like there's so many ways in which the information of like I'm non-monogamous can be so triggering, and I was really conscious of that. So it actually went pretty well, and so now I'm really. I feel like a huge weight is off of me because it's something I've wanted for a long time, but I really didn't want to do it in a way that was going to be drama. Um, and I, I do have to say that like, that's a very privileged place for me. Right. Cause I'm not in like a V I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like a triad. I don't have, I'm not like visibly non-monogamous. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was, it was, I could wait. Right. And not everyone can do that, but now, so now we're out to everyone except for Daniel's parents. <laughs> so if they're listening, <laughs> um, um, and that's because they are pretty deeply religious and, um, I, I know we'll do it eventually. Once again, I feel like the waiting has been really nice just to know when the right time is. Um, and that'll happen, but it hasn't yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious how you knew with your mom that it was the right time. Yeah, I like that question. Um, We've been, I feel like I've been working really hard on our relationship in general, right? Like I think I I just kind of knew that where we were at um, wasn't conducive for that kind of information. So we've, we've worked really hard on both ends on, on our relationship. I've brought like really hard things to her and she's brought hard things to to me, we've done a lot of repair because I think most teenagers aren't very kind to their parents. And so I was really excited to do a lot of repair with her around that of like, Hey, I'm, I'm really sorry for the way that I, you know, those things I said or the way that I treated you. And, and she's been able to do that with me too. So I think after doing a lot of that repair, we've been able to deepen our relationship, become increasingly vulnerable with each other. And I just could feel, I could feel like, okay, there, this is, there's enough here now where, where we can talk through this other hard thing. Um, Mm -hmm. and I've also like brought hard things to her, um, and, and kind of have gotten practice with how that goes. So it felt like the right time felt like she could handle it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which I think is a metaphor or or analogous to opening your partnership or mm-hmm. anything around this. Any any hard information is that there's a, often a moment you're sort of maybe building to, but it's there's a whole lot of foundation work that gets laid. And you know, often when we're talking to to people who are opening their partnership, there there's a big difference between the people who have maybe trickled the idea in, then they put it away, then it came back, then they put it away, and they've been building up a foundation of could we do this yeah it's been on their minds for a while let's let's tiptoe in versus the well here we are we're doing it right now today and not that both aren't valid and both can't work but one is a little bit softer of an entry and it and i think it's very similar to what you've done in that partner in the relationship with your mom is you build the foundation you you do the repair work up front so you don't have even more repair work to do when you drop that that big piece of information. So I, I, I appreciate you sharing that because I think it's super valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And once again, like I, I really enjoy helping other folks navigate all this other stuff. Cause I think it's, it's challenging. It's really challenging. And I do think, I don't think there's a right way and a wrong way, but there's helpful tips. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there, are, there are better ways. There's <laughs> strategies. So I think, um, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. For sure. Well, I think this, maybe it's a great spot to... I was oh, just going to segue. Do it then. Yeah. Do no, it. And then I have a few other questions, okay. but go for it. No, I was just going to say the same thing Finn was about to say is around, like, this is a great segue into talking about your coaching work. If you uh, don't mind letting people know what your what your work is and where people can find you. Yeah. Yeah. So I do call myself an imagination coach because I don't, I don't only work with folks on their sexualities and their relationships, but really just in any facet of your life that you're just feeling kind of stuck and wanting to bring more imagination to how you're doing things, how you're approaching your friendships, your career, your just day to day, or how to bring more pleasure into your life. Cause it's something I'm really passionate about is like, how do we live our lives in a way that's authentic to us? Not operating on the shoulds based on our gender or et cetera, what our family expects. But mostly I work with folks who are interested in non-monogamy or exploring their sexualities. Um, I do one-on-one coaching sessions that are really casual. We're just talking kind of like this. And I help develop a little plan to help folks reach their goals. Um, you can find me on Instagram right now um, or bayleche.com is my website. But Instagram, there's a really annoying underscore after Bayleche because Instagram has deleted my account a few times. They don't like me. <laughs> so. well, we'll make sure there are links in the show notes. So yeah, you don't you. you don't have to memorize any of these these links for yeah. sure. Um, I love it. I'm curious, Brie, what is what was your journey of coming into coaching? Did you go through like some different programs or how did you sort of arrive at imagination coach? Cause I, yeah. I love that approach because you're sure relationships are one facet of our lives, but when you start, and I've noticed this for myself, when you start to break and bend the norms in one area, mm-hmm. you look around and you go, well, that whole career thing's kind of a bullshit, mm-hmm. bullshit thing too. And there's, oh my God, look at that other, like there's all of these norms that we build up. And exactly. when you tear one down and you don't collapse into a puddle and evaporate, exactly. you realize you can, you can break the norms everywhere. Exactly. I love that you just framed it that way. Cause that, that's exactly it. And I think that 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 is a lot of people's journeys actually who are non-monogamous is they do that first, right? Maybe in other, every other aspect of their life, they're doing things, you know, that the more cookie cutter way, and then they break that piece down and they're like, like you said, looking around, like, wait a second, (laughs) wait a second. (laughs) And, um, yeah, I love that. Thank you. For me, it came from, I just, work has never appealed to me. I've never been like, I want to work. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. Like I've never been that person. Right. And it's always been very frustrating in a world that really values work and what you do for work and what do you do for work? (laughs) And so I think in my individual journey, um, you know, going to college, leaving college, not wanting to use my degree, which is in um, global studies and urban development is what it's called. Um, I didn't want, I didn't was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go get paid $15 an hour. I don't know. And so (laughs) I bartended for so long and like, I really loved it, but still that piece was very like nebulous. I'm like, I don't know what my vocation is going to look like. And that was very hard for me. And I think I, I started the process of letting go though. Like, wait, who am I outside of that? Like, who is who is Brie? Who's Brianna? Who's Bayleche? Like, who is this person? And I think it ended up actually being the greatest gift to not tie my identity to like 
what I did for work or what I like a hobby, right? I really had to look inside myself and, and know who I was when I wasn't anything else, like outside of my roles. And that process I think has been such a gift because I think, um, I know myself, I know myself and I want that for everyone else. I want everyone else to operate out of this place of like authenticity. And I'm doing this because it feels right for me. Even if it doesn't, even if my mom doesn't like it, even if my partner doesn't like it, like it's what I need for me. And a lot of people never ask themselves that question. They never ask themselves like, what do I really want? Who am I? What's in alignment for me? Because we're, we're operating so much on these shoulds and on this like really like template really of like we go to college, we get married, we have children, we have our career, we buy a house. And so I, I really am just so passionate about helping people figure it out outside of that. But it didn't start until um, I started creating art. Um photography around, um, exploring the idea of motherhood and sexuality because becoming a mom, as I talked about earlier, was like, I was really nervous about that kind of squelching my sexuality. Right. And so when I was pregnant, I partnered with a lot of different photographers to explore this idea of, um, of kink in particular and pregnancy, um, and create these images that were a little, it made, made people feel things, you know? Um, and people responded to that art really well. And that's how I kind of started gaining an Instagram following. Cause I wasn't really on Instagram before. It wasn't really for me. I was like, Oh, I don't want to be on the internet, but people started reaching out to me just kind of saying like, how did you get here? And like, we're curious about my journey. So I started sharing more about my open marriage and it really organically grew from that as people wanted to have conversations with me about it. And I was like, Oh, like, I have a lot to say about this. I can, I can help folks. And so I started doing that, just kind of offering these really informal sessions, been doing that for about three years now. And now I'm in a program. I didn't want to pay for a program that wasn't like really what I wanted, but then I found one it's based on, um, it's based on somatics. So we look at the body, right? We're paying attention to the nervous system and applying that to how we're doing relationships and how we're relating to our sexuality. So the program's focused on that and I will be certified next year. And that's can I, ask, can I ask the name? Yeah, it's called Somatica. I asked because I'm I'm actually in the middle of the same program. I think you're probably in the 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 same the same track, different there was two cohorts last fall. Wait, you're in the program right now? That's so funny. Mm-hmm. Hilarious. So <laughs> I can vouch I can vouch for this program. What's that? So you're in the second part of the program? I will be starting the second part in October. Okay. Yeah, that's hilarious. But isn't so it great? I can, I can vouch, yeah, I can vouch for it. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> and, like, I, I love it because it's really supported, like, what I've already been doing. Because, like, a lot mm-hmm. of the reading, I'm like, I've done this reading. Like, and it's so it feels really nice that, like, I was on the right track, right? Like, I was like, oh, I was, I was thinking about this the right way. And now there's all these other people that can support that journey with me. And I can, like, deepen the skills and knowledge. So I'm stoked about it. I love it. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I was. I wanted to just touch to uh, for a minute if if around destroying the. I think the facade that gets built around what we're supposed to do, and this was this was something that happened for me a lot 
when we were traveling. So, so Emma and I took about a year off of, we, we quit our careers, went and traveled and backpacked South America. And for me, I've lived a very weird, in a weird place with this idea that I do things very much by the books a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And I see things as there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. But I'm always trying to prove that there, there's a different way. Mm -hmm. And our traveling did this for me in a lot of ways because we would get into these situations where I would, I would see people living or traveling in a way that I'm like, there's no way you can do that. And then like, there's this person sitting in front of me that's doing it <laughs> and has been doing it, probably been doing it for a long time. I mean, we watched this family, uh, two parents and two kids who were, they were, but I think like eight, eight and 13 from the UK, they've been traveling for quite a while. Their kids had like started these like recycling programs and they had done all these. So they were like homeschooling their kids and backpacking South America, learning Spanish, learning Spanish, doing all these amazing things. Their kids are basically little entrepreneurs. They had, take, they had taken their kids out of school for a year yeah. on that trip. And you you look and you go, people would probably, people probably told them every day, this is insane. You can't do this. Right. And they were like, watch. And one day their kids didn't go into school. They got on an airplane and they flew across the world and they kept living their lives. They woke up the next day. They're fine. Yep. Yep. And it's, but I think it's so easy. I mean, I know it's easy for me to say, when I quit my job, what will I be? And that day that I quit my job, I, I woke up the next day and I woke up a month later and I got in an airplane and I just kept existing. And, and all of the facade and the, the things that were taught, they're they're largely not true. You you can just you can just do, but it's scary. Totally. Was there a question in there? Nope. It was just a <laughs> diatribe <laughs> about about my experience of yeah the of relating, tearing, tearing these down. Yeah, the relating yeah. to very much so much of what you said, Brie, is relatable. Just like Finn said, of yeah, figuring like that internal question of who am I without these labels, without these mm -hmm. roles, because labels are a great starting point for a conversation, but they're really not, I mean, beyond that, they can mean so many different things to different people. If you ask someone what they're like, what, who they are, they're like, Oh, I'm a writer. Well, that could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Yeah. You write children's and, books, you write erotica. You write <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you like, do you, is that your full time? Yeah. Like, do you, have you done that almost your life? It's like, is that a hobby? What it, and it doesn't matter. They can, they can describe what that is to them. But, mm -hmm. um, I think culture is shifting slowly mm -hmm. and more and more and more people are, are, uh, discovering them about that about themselves that they can question that they don't have to be as tied to their occupation unless they want to there's a totally there's nothing wrong with that either well i think it parallels really strongly to relationships right there's the mindset right that rewinding all the way back to the beginning for for you and your husband would be hey i'm gonna make out with this person at work right and the thinking often i think is well, if that happens, you just blew up your life. You blew up your relationship. How could my girlfriend ever go to work, make out with somebody and come back home? But you did it. And then you did it again and you did it again. And you have these experiences that disprove all of the narratives that were taught. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, they just sort of become your new norm at mm -hmm. some somewhere along the way. And I don't know when it even happens for us, right? But we now live in a world where this is normal. You saying these things, 
but they don't even bother me. They, they're so ingrained, but I know for much of our culture and our society, these things are still super shocking. Yeah. Right. To hear that, oh, Brie, Brie went and made out with somebody and her, her husband was okay with it and they just kept on keeping on. Uh, my problem is I forget that. Like, I think, especially mm-hmm. with social media, like, you get really like in these bubbles mm-hmm. and you forget. Like, I forget all the time. Like, I'm like, wait, this is actually like shocking to people sometimes. <laughs> like, oh, shoot, I, I got to pull back because I don't <laughs> remember that. <laughs> that people are like, what? What? <laughs> like, oh, even in LA, like, even though it's like so common here, it's also very shocking for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I forget. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Wow. Is there anything else, Bree, that we haven't touched on that you wanted to get out there today? No, I think we did a good job. I agree. Yeah. This is a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for your time and the work that you do and the intentionality behind it all as well. Thank you. Yeah, thank you and have a wonderful afternoon. You too. And And we're we're back. back. Totally in sync. Nailed it. Bye, bye, bye. No, 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 no. Thank, thank you. <laughs> that was an in sync joke, yeah. Emma. Did you know? I did. I figured that out. I think most people got it. I think so too. Anyway, <laughs> thank you, Brie, for everything that you shared, for coming on today. We loved our conversation and we're excited to promote your work and send more people your way. So, a reminder go to our website normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the podcast tab. You can see the show notes there and find links to all of Bree's work. Anything else? I'm still stuck on my NSYNC show. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to keep it going, aren't you? No, I'm going to try to let it go, which is a different song. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Anyway, a quick reminder. Also on our website, you can find links for the community as well as the weekly groups that are part of the community. You can also find links to stdcheck.com. And I think that's all for today. But next week, yes. don't worry, we're coming back next week. We are. We've got an interview with Casey, who is actually amazing. Uh, yeah. I don't know why I said actually like I was surprised. <laughs> She's a porn actress and producer and advocate and all of the things and does incredible work on the platforms with Erica Lust, who many of you probably know as sort of a feminist not sort of, as a feminist porn producer. And we're super excited about the conversation. It is fantastic. She's also non-monogamous. That's why we're talking to her. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, come back next week and listen to our conversation with Casey. And until then, have a wonderful weekend. Get yourself an STD check test. Yes. That's the perfect thing to do on this Wednesday afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) Assuming it's Wednesday afternoon that they're listening. It's also great on a Thursday. It's pretty good on a Friday. Saturdays are fantastic. Okay. We don't need to go through all days of the week. So what you're saying is bye-bye. Bye, Bye, everyone. (laughs) Thanks for listening.